Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. All right, so Luke chapter one, we're beginning a new series this week. Uh, our Advent series from Luke chapter 1, and we're going to just be walking through the entirety of Luke chapter 1 in this Advent series uh, as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke chapter 1, I want to read into your hearing Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through uh, verse 25. And if you would, just for the sake of honoring the scriptures, honoring the word uh, of God, and just for us to have some form of participation in this this morning, would you go ahead and do me a favor right where you are? Go ahead and stand uh, for the reading of God's word. It reads this way. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things took pl take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. 
He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when, the, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived in five months. She kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. There are certain things that happen in reality. There, there are facts of genuine and authentic occurrence. This, uh, this is what true journalism seeks to bear whenever it is reported. A journalism major undergrad told me this week, journalism's first obligation is always to the truth. And its first loyalty is always to the citizens. It, it is to tell the truth about what happened. Journalists do this through accurate, fair, honest, and courageous gathering, reporting, and interpreting of information. That is the job of a true journalist. And so similarly to that of a great journalist, the gospel writer Luke introduces his gospel with great clarity as to the genre of literature uh, he has employed in order to ensure the precise nature of his communication. This is no myth that we have uh, in our midst in Luke chapter 1. This, uh, this is not a fictional novel. This is not some fairy tale story. These are historical events. This is journalism done at its highest level. And if Luke had written his gospel account in the 21st century instead of the early 60s AD, we could rest assured that he would be the one taking home the Pulitzer Prize and not only is Luke's gospel precisely and incredibly written, but the story he is reporting on this, uh, this story is the most important story in all of human history. It is, it is the announcement that after a long extended silence from heaven, the, the maker of heaven and earth was coming to establish his kingdom here on earth to restore and renew all things. And that was going to take place first through a prophet. And then through the Messiah. God has broken his silence. I want to preach from that subject this morning as we begin our Advent series. and Look forward to the celebration of the birth of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. God has broken his silence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to open up your word and as uh, even some of what I'm getting ready to share may be a familiar story, I pray. God, that you would help us understand it more clearly, that you would uh, help us, God, to apply it more directly. I pray, God, that you would show us how magnificent Jesus is. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. 
You see, Advent is a season of anticipation and preparation. It, it is a time when we prepare our hearts for what took place on our behalf, and we look forward to the kind of consummation of what has already occurred as we anticipate Jesus's return. And for many of us, uh, this story that we have for us in Luke chapter one is an old story. Maybe we know it well, but my prayer for us as we walk through Luke chapter one in this season is that we would hear it with fresh ears, that we would See it with clear eyes. Allow me, uh, if you would, to set the scene of our storyline. 1,400 years prior, God had rescued his people, Israel, from the most powerful nation in human history, a nation known as Egypt. Supernatural occurrence after supernatural occurrence had happened over and over again. People all over the world heard how the God of the people of Israel had overthrown the most powerful nation in human history. And even even though and through their disobedience, the people of Israel, there was always a prophet of God who would speak to the people of Israel. And in that way, there were always uh, there were always assured that 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 God was active and involved in their lives. They had heard of a coming king in Isaiah chapter nine, who was going to bring God's reign to the earth. He was the promised Messiah who would rule and reign in the lineage of King David, whose promise it was made uh, that through King David's throne, it would last forever. 400 years had passed, though. 400 years, no prophet to speak on behalf of God, no, no progress. In fact, the people of Israel were held captive once again by another world power known as the Romans. The windows of heaven seemed to be silent. No word from God except that, that which had already been said 400 years since Malachi had uttered, Thus saith the Lord. And put his pen down. People are kind of in sort of no man's land. And, and yet there was still a temple where they would go to worship. There, there was still a place for the priests to make sacrifices to God. Uh, the priests were still participating in their priestly duties. There was still a sacrificial system so that a holy and a loving God could interact with an unholy and imperfect people. The temple itself uh, exist, existed in three separations, pictured, uh, pictured the separation that exists between human beings and God. And so these three settings within the temple courts, they, 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 they symbolize different things. There was, there was the court of the priests, symbolized earth in the temple. There was the holy place, symbolized heaven. And then there were still the Holy of Holies, represented the very presence of God. And yet God had been silent for 400 years. 
it, it is from that place that the Gentile Dr. Luke picks up his pen to write possibly to the benefactor of his endeavor. And it suggested that perhaps Theophilus, who he, uh, who, who he addresses at the beginning of his gospel, had presented to Luke the capital required to pull off such a journalistic feat. The cost of travel and parchment and ink required to write such a gospel would have been an exorbitant amount in the first century. Scholars believe that the writing of an epistle such as that of Romans with the cost of papyri would have taken uh, 11 hours to dictate just the contents itself, and it would have cost $2,300 in modern American currency. Now catch that. $2,300 to write a letter And think of how much it would have cost in the first century. The average ancient papyrus was 87 words. Famous philosophers would have uh, written papyruses that were around 500 words. Paul's letter to the Romans is 7,114 words. Luke's gospel has 25,640 words. Translation, this journalistic enterprise was no conspiracy Facebook blog reshaped by your grandma's cousin. This is the labor of an enlisted scholar. Luke says in verse 1, inasmuch as Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. He goes on to introduce the characters of his account in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zechariah is a priest who marry, who, who's married to a woman who comes from the lineage of the very first priest of Israel's priesthood, the brother of Moses, a man by the name of Aaron. And Luke tells us that not only are these good people, according to outsiders, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're, they're not just righteous based on what you can see on the outside, but the scripture says they were righteous before God. So they weren't like the religious leaders that Jesus interacted with uh, throughout his ministry who uh, who had it all together on the outside. And and really, it was a self-righteousness. And on the inside, their hearts were completely separated from God. They were like, we're trying to earn our favor. No, Zechariah and Elizabeth were followers of God by faith with hearts attached to what they were doing. They loved to serve God. Verses eight and ten. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense. So the service of the temple was divided into 24 divisions and each provided for the needs of the temple service for a week at a time, twice a year. Now, there's about 18,000 priests in total who served the temple. They'd 
uh, enter the holy place to clean the altar of incense and to offer fresh incense because there were so many priests, 20, or 18,000 around about, uh, going into the temple to burn incense in the holy place. What Zechariah is doing in our passage is something that probably only happened once in a priest's lifetime. So when Zechariah enters the holy place of the temple, it's a big deal. This is a once in a lifetime experience. And as he goes into the holy place of the temple and while everyone is outside praying, an angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah. Zechariah is frightened at the presence of this angel. And the angel tells him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, that God has answered your prayer. He and his wife had struggled with infertility for quite some time. And now God was going to use his family to bring a child into the world who would prepare people for God. Verse 13, and 13 through 15. The angel says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So that's who he'll be. What will he do? What will this child do, Gabriel? Look with me at verse 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, Zechariah's mind has just been blown, right? But also observe the fact that he's a priest and his wife comes from the lineage of the very first priest. And he's still unsure of how all of this is about to go down, right? He, he can't fathom how this is going to happen. Uh, even though, like, he's steeped in Hebrew, Hebrew tradition, even though he, he knows the stories, but he's like, my, my wife and I, uh, we're older now. Gabriel, how, how are you going to pull this off? I, I don't understand uh, how this is about to take place. We're... Uh, we're up in age, up in years, and and the angel Gabriel, man, he he has got to be like this, this ain't this ain't even remotely close to what I'm getting ready to go tell Mary, Bruh, Like, did you ever read the story of Abraham and Sarah? Like, did you ever read the story in Judges about Samson's uh, parents? H have you have you ever uh, have you ever read the story of Hannah and her son Samuel? Like this is par for the course of God getting ready to do something big. He's been silent, and now he is speaking again. Listen to Gabriel's response in verse nineteen and twenty. And the angel answered him, "I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And you can almost imagine Gabriel's side eye here, right? Do you know who I am? Like, that's how we even find out Gabriel's name, right? He's, he says, he doesn't even introduce himself as like, yo, 
I'm Gabriel. This is the message from God. In response to him questioning how God is going to make this happen, he says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's what I do. And that's where I come from. This ain't no tabloid news, Zechariah. This is coming directly from the mouth of God. God has been silent for 400 years. You're a priest. Come to the temple, heard all the stories of what God had done in the past and promises to do in the future. And you are asking me, how is this going to happen? How shall I know this? You know this because I just told you. Interestingly enough, what, what we'll see next week uh, is that Mary, a teenage girl from a podunk town called Nazareth with no family name mentioned, she asked a different kind of question than that of Zechariah. Mary asked a question, assuming that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Uh, she just asked, OK, so how's this going to go down? And since Zechariah didn't believe Gabriel's words, he, he couldn't speak until the baby who was promised was born. Uh, he'd been in the temple so long after he had heard uh, the news from the angel Gabriel that the people who were praying wondered what was going on. And when he came out, they realized he had seen a vision. After 400 years, God had spoken to a priest in the holy place of the temple. A prophet was coming. So what do we take away from this story? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Some of us didn't get to see our loved ones over Thanksgiving this year. For some of us, we've experienced the loss uh, that COVID has caused on so many. Jobs have been lost. Family members have been lost. Our mental uh, and emotional uh, health is waning. And one of the things we can rest assured of in this season is that God will fulfill his promises to those who are in Christ. He will, in the midst of this pandemic, even though it's been going on for nine months, he hadn't spoken in 400 years. He will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will one day do away with suffering and pain. We can bank on it. Another thing that we can take away from this season is that as God has been silent for 400 years while the Old Testament followers were waiting on more to be revealed from God, while they were trying to figure out what the promises were pointing to, we get to actually see them and take hold of them. Luke chapter 24, verse 44, uh, Luke, our a gospel writer, says this. Jesus speaking, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, all of what Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and all of the people of Israel in the ancient world were anticipating, it was all pointing forward to one person and that person's name is Jesus. And we know him. That human history was pointing forward to the coming of Christ. Human history looks backward to the sacrifice of Christ. 
Gospel writer John says it this way in John 15 and verse 26, and the words will come up on the screen. When the Advocate comes, Jesus again speaking, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, He will testify about Me. In other words, He will bear witness to Me. So, in the same way that John, Zechariah's child, who would later be known as John the Baptist, is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And as he's pointing people to Jesus, he's, he's continually pointing people to Jesus as the Holy Spirit directs him to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work in you and me is the same thing. He is pointing you and me to Jesus so that we can point other people to Jesus. And it's a message of of grace. It's, it's not a message of, of religion. It's, it's not a message of uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not a message of pray this many times a week and pray towards this uh, direction. It's, it's not a message of that. It's a message of grace. And that grace in the midst of how we try to compare our lives to other people, we know that in some shape, way, or form, we are going to fail at keeping our end of the bargain in this. And yet the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the Holy Spirit's work in you is continually bearing witness to the fact that you receive your security and belonging and approval by grace. It don't matter if the apocalypse happens tomorrow. We in the middle of a pandemic, but it is well with my soul. That's good news. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. All of the promises that Zechariah and Elizabeth were looking forward to, all of the promises that God had uh, had been telling the people that he was going to, to perform, they all find their yes in Jesus. They are all intertwined with Jesus so that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you get to experience all of the fullness of the promises of God. And some of us, we're in the midst of a season where we're looking for some fresh revelation from God. We're looking for him to say something new in our lives. And and the beauty of the storyline of God's communication to us is that we could have hoped for and everything that we could have hoped for and wanted communicated for all that your soul desires has been communicated. Maybe not all of the specifics for what we want individually, but all of the deepest longings of our souls have been communicated through Christ. They've been revealed to us through Christ. So our prayer doesn't need to be for fresh revelation. Our prayer, or 
or God to show me something new. Our prayer is, God, help me see what I don't see. Help me see what you have already revealed. Help me help me understand the fullness of what it means to be united to Jesus. Illuminate to me what you've already revealed in Christ. You see, Jesus is the centerpiece of human history. And while the older portions of the scriptures we're pointing forward. The Holy Spirit is pointing you and I towards him. At Advent, as, as we receive gifts and give gifts to others, we take in the greatest gift of human history, the greatest gift that uh, human history has ever experienced, that our belonging, our acceptance and our approval with the God of the universe has been secured and we didn't have anything to do with it. We receive it by faith. In his grace, the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has entrusted you and I in the midst of all of what's going on with an announcement. And that announcement didn't show up on some tabloid. This announcement has come directly from the presence of God. And some of us have been too busy fighting over politics in this season. We preach the gospel of our political party while at the same time the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to hear this. No one is persuaded by insults. So if you have something to say about Jesus and then want to insult somebody else's political point of view, you have failed at your commitment to Jesus. So this message that John the Baptist is getting ready to carry forward is a message that you and I have been entrusted with. Just as John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, you and I are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit and in our filling of the Holy Spirit. Here's the message. A holy and a perfect God was separated from you and me because we built our lives on other things besides him, even though we're created in his image. And that same holy God sent his son to die in our place and for our sins. So that you and I could experience intimacy with him by faith. May people in this season experience the message of the love of God through our lives and how we treat them. And may people in this season where so many things are up in the air. Sense that you and I have built our lives on the rock that is Jesus Christ. May people hear the words of the gospel message of Jesus. And just as they turned to God from the message of John the Baptist, may God use you and me as ambassadors for him to carry on that ministry of reconciliation. God has broken his silence. He's pointing everyone everywhere to the person and work of Jesus Christ that was given to us as a gift of love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us today. 
even as we had the opportunity at Thanksgiving to press pause and stop, to rest, to delight, to worship. God, I pray we would be re-energized in this season in the midst of Zoom fatigue and all other types of fatigue by the message of your gospel to a people who need it for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.